1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Intact Financial Corporation Q4 2020 Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0 i would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today ken anderson senior vice president investor relations and corporate development intact financial corporation thank you please go ahead
2: thank you mike good morning everyone and thank you for joining the call today a link to our live webcast and published information for this call is posted on our website at intactfc.com under the investors tab as usual before we start Please refer to slide two for a cautionary language regarding the use of forward-looking statements which form part of this morning's remarks, and slide three for a note on the use of non-IFRS financial measures and important notes on adjustments, terms, and definitions used in this presentation. Our executives are again joining virtually today from across the country. In Toronto, we have our CEO, Charles Brindamore. Here in Montreal are Louis Marcotte, CFO, Isabelle Girard, SVP of Personal Lines, and Patrick Barbeau, SVP of Claims. And from Calgary, we're joined by Darren Godfrey, SVP of Commercial Lines. As usual, we'll begin with prepared remarks, followed by the Q&A. With that, I'll turn the call to our CEO, Charles Brindamore.
3: Good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us today. So we're in the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the hardship on society continues to be significant. Healthcare professionals and frontline workers have shouldered a lot, and we're very grateful for their dedication. While the vaccine rollout provides a glimmer of hope, it's important that businesses continue to protect and support their employees and communities through these difficult times. We've stepped up by providing $530 million of relief to 1.2 million customers this year. We will continue to embed longer-term relief measures into our offerings, including rate strategies and product enhancements, to protect and support our most impacted customers. Our relief measures remain risk and needs-based. Our outperformance and strong capital management over the years enables us to provide substantial support to our customers. Now let's turn to results. Yesterday evening, we announced fourth quarter net operating income per share of $3.18, a significant increase over Q4 2019. For the full year, net operating income per share was up 61% to $9.92 on strong underwriting and distribution performance. Our strong results translated into an operating roe of 18.4 percent roe outperformance performance versus the industry continues to exceed our 500 basis point objective with 600 basis points for the first nine months of 2020 and closer to 700 basis points over the last three years top line growth was solid eight percent in the quarter with canada up six and the u.s up 19%. The strong combined ratio of 85.6% included $74 million of cats with $23 million related to COVID-19. The increase to our COVID-19 provision is related to our exposure and liability and entertainment and reflects the intensity of the second wave. In Canada, the combined ratio of 84% was strong, while our U.S. commercial lines delivered solid 92%. Let's now look at our results by line of business starting right here in Canada. In personal auto, premium growth was solid at 5%. Our competitive position remains strong with north of 3% unit growth after adjusting for our exit from British Columbia. The combined ratio of 82.6% benefited from reduced driving, our profitability actions, and more favorable weather Upset in part by customer relief measures and increased severity. Overall, our personal auto business is solid and I expect it to operate in the low end of the mid-90s range in 2021 as claims activity activity, gradually returns to normal and as our customer relief is earned. Looking at the industry, rate momentum has been impacted by the crisis and we've seen some short-term softening. However, with an industry combined ratio close to 100% for the first nine months of 2020, we expect corrective rate measures to resume as claims frequency returns to historical levels. In personal property, premiums grew 10% driven by unit growth, firm market conditions, and the GCNA acquisition. The combined ratio at 73.2% in the quarter and 81.7% for the year was exceptionally strong and driven by our profitability actions over time and benign weather. I expect this segment to continue to operate sub 95 in both good and in bad times. In commercial lines premium grew 5% with the GCNA acquisition adding 5 points, offset by 6 points from our 50 million targeted relief program. The 95.3% combined ratio in commercial lines was solid, considering it included the six points impact from that relief program and two points of COVID-19 caps. The commercial lines industry is entering its third year of hard market condition, which supports our view that this segment should run in the low 90s. Moving to our US commercial business, premiums grew a very strong 19% with the GCNA acquisition adding six points. Hard market conditions and high customer retention drove the top line this quarter. The combined ratio at 92 is solid with continued profitability actions in place. This business is positioned to deliver sustainable low 90s performance. Turning to strategy, we're moving diligently on the RSA acquisition, and currently focusing on three areas, closing the deal, value creation, and engaging with our colleagues at RSA. First, we're progressing well towards the scheduled closing in the second quarter. We've received approval from the Canadian Competition Bureau as well as from RSA shareholders. It's all hands on deck as we continue to work with regulators in different countries for the remaining approvals. Second, we're gaining clear visibility on the value creation opportunities as we work on the integration and transition planning. We're reaffirming our NOIP secretion targets, which have us reaching high single digit in the first 12 months and increasing to upper teens within 36 months. As well, we continue to expect mid-teens operating ROE in the medium term and book value per share is expected to be up 25% at closing. Finally, and most importantly, we're engaging with our colleagues at RSA. We've met with most of the senior management team as we undertake strategic reviews of the business. I'm pleased with the engagement and our shared pursuit of outperformance. And I look forward to welcoming our RSA colleagues into the intact family in the coming months. While we're working to ensure we hit the ground running with RSC, we continue to strengthen our competitive advantages at home. A great example of this is on-site restoration, a business we acquired over a year ago. We've grown its top line by over 20%, making it the clear leader in home restoration in Canada with expanded operations in seven provinces. We've improved margins by a third, and we've significantly increased customer satisfaction with job cycle times cut by 15%. The on-site team is executing, and there's lots of momentum in this business. We're also strengthening our digital and data advantages. Our impact and better direct apps have seen the number of monthly users more than double this year. As well, our data lab team has grown by over 40% in 2020 as they continue to deploy close to 140 advanced models in the field to improve segmentation, support our telematics strategy, and contribute to better customer experience. Overall, strengthening our competitive advantages is core to our outperformance mindset as it allows us to deliver value to our customers and create capabilities that are quite hard to replicate. These industry-leading capabilities were built over a decade and will be particularly important as we integrate RSA. Before I conclude, I'll mention that February is typically when we increase our dividends, which we've done for the past 15 years. We fully intend to raise our dividends this year to maintain this track record. Given the current regulatory environment, we've postponed the increase to a future quarter in 2021. In conclusion, we've delivered outstanding results throughout the year, provided relief to over a million customers, and continued to advance our strategy. We accelerated our diversity and inclusion initiatives, and our people are more engaged than ever before. GCNA has become an an integral part of our business, and we announced the acquisition of RSA, which accelerates our strategy and certainly strengthens our ability to outperform. So to our people across North America, it's been a challenging year, and I want to thank you. You guys really stepped up. And as we enter into 2021, I know we have the best teams, and we've shown that our business is tremendously resilient, and we have strong momentum to surpass our financial objectives. And with that, I'll turn the call over to our CFO, Louis Marcotte. Thanks, Charles, and good
4: morning, everyone. We continue to see the profound impact the pandemic is having on communities around the world, and it's during these unprecedented times that our purpose has never been clearer. To help people, businesses and society prosper in good times and be resilient in bad times. The fourth quarter was marked by the emergence of a steep second wave of COVID-19 cases and the application of new lockdowns, work from home orders and curfews. At the same time, the weather was fairly benign Interest rates were generally stable, but capital markets were strong. With this backdrop in mind, it is important that we keep our focus on de- delivering strong operating results and maintaining a strong balance sheet, allowing us to continue providing support to our customers through the crisis and completing the RSA transaction as soon as it is approved. We have now provided more than 1.2 million customers with premium relief worth $530 million. The vast majority of the premium relief has already flowed through our written premiums. However, the unearned portion of these measures, which stood at $203 million at year-end, will lower net earned premiums in future quarters, offsetting the impact of reduced claims frequency. The intensity of the second wave has also led us to increase our COVID provisions by $23 million mainly related to liability exposure in Canada and entertainment cancellations in the U.S. On results, net operating income was up 54% versus last year to $467 million, driven by strong underwriting and distribution performances. Underwriting income grew 81% over last year as better weather, reduced claims activity in personal lines, and our ongoing profitability actions drove lower claims frequency in Canada all of which were partially offset by our customer relief measures. That investment income of $143 million in the quarter was unchanged from last year, as the benefit of higher invested assets was offset by lower reinvestment yields. On a full-year basis, investment income was flat for the same reasons, and we expect a similar result in 2021 before reflecting the impact of RSA. Distribution EBITDA and other income grew 60% in the quarter and 32% for the year. This was better than expected, thanks to solid organic growth, disciplined expense management, higher variable commissions, as well as continuing M&A. The additions of OnSide and Frank Cowan also had a meaningful, positive impact on this earnings stream. On the back of a very strong 2020 performance, Distribution, income, and other is expected to grow 10% in 2021. Now let me move to lines of business. Personal auto premium growth was 6% for the full year after reflecting 6 points of relief measures. Market conditions helped drive 4 points of rate for the year while units were up 2 points as our action plans and relief measures generated strong customer retention. Personal property had a strong year, growing 11% in 2020, despite two points from relief. Firm market conditions, GCNA, and unit growth drove top line throughout the year. Turning to Canada commercial lines, the solid growth of 10% in 2020 was driven by hard market conditions and the acquisitions of GCNA, both of which were offset by four points of customer relief. The overall Canadian expense ratio of 29.5% for the quarter increased 1.7 points from last year. This was mainly driven by the impact of relief measures on net earned premiums, as well as higher variable commissions and increased investments in technology during the quarter. For the full year, the expense ratio was 30.2% and we expect a similar level in 2021. Looking at US commercial, 9% top line growth for the year was driven by hard market conditions and the GCNA acquisition. Partially offset by our discipline on lines under profit improvement plans and lines impacted by COVID. The US expense ratio of 38.4% for the year inc- increased by close to one point, mainly driven by higher commissions resulting from our expanding surety business. For 2021, the expense ratio is expected to be in line with 2020. Since we acquired One Beacon three years ago, delivering a sustainable low 90s combined ratio has been our main focus. We've taken several actions to get there, namely the exit of unprofitable lines of business, the implementation of profit improvement plans in others, the realization of synergies, as well as claims and underwriting actions. While we reported a 95% combined ratio in 2020 with elevated CAT activity, including COVID losses, we believe our U.S. business is very well positioned to run in the low 90s going forward. Moving to our balance sheet, we ended the quarter in a strong financial position with a total capital margin of 2.7 billion and a debt to total capital ratio of 24.1%. Included in these figures is $600 million of medium term notes issued to finance the RSA acquisition. When I exclude this, our leverage is essentially at at our 20% target. Remember the proceeds from our 4.5 private placement subscription receipts are not yet reflected on our balance sheet. Our book value per share increased 9% year-over-year to 58.79, thanks to strong operating performance and favorable capital markets. Let me now provide a few comments on the RSA deal, a transaction that moves the needle for IFC both strategically and financially. Firstly, we have largely secured financing, with, a, with six, $5.6 billion already raised, and the remainder will be raised in the coming months. Secondly, as we work through integration and transition planning, we are gaining further visibility on our $250 million of free-tax synergies. We are confident we can deliver these synergies within the three-year time frame we originally planned. And finally, we continue to expect upper single-digit accretion in the first year after close. Assuming we close the transaction at the end of Q2, we expect this level of accretion to begin, in, to begin in the second half of 2021. On the topic of 2021, in light of the uncertainty, it is worth giving you a sense of what to expect for the existing IFC business. In summary, we anticipate overall top-line growth to be in the mid-single-digit range and our combined ratio to be at a low 90s level. In closing, during 2020, we maintained a position of strength throughout this crisis, and our business remains solid on both sides of the border. We are well positioned to execute on our objectives, including adding meaningful value for all stakeholders with the RSA transaction. This would not be possible without our most important asset, our amazing people, they really stepped up this year to support our customers and communities as we continue to deliver value for our shareholders. Thank you
2: for another solid year. With that, I'll turn the call back to Ken. Thank you, Louis. In order to give everyone a chance to participate in the Q&A, we would kindly ask that you limit yourselves to two questions per person. If there's time at the end, you can certainly requeue queue for follow-ups. So, Mike, we're ready to take questions now.
1: As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets.
5: Hi, good morning. Um, My first question was, for the COVID-19 cat loss reserve that you had, um, can you give some examples of what types of claims we're going through? I think liability was one of the areas and then separately, like what would need to happen for you to have to reserve more COVID 19 related charges?
3: Why don't we? Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks. I'll, I'll just ask Patrick to give you a perspective on uh, the profile, so to speak, um, and what we would need to get uh, to reserve more. Go ahead, Patrick.
0: Uh, Jeff, so as, as, as we uh, mentioned, I think Charles mentioned it in his remarks, there's two main sources that led us to increase our, our uh, overall provision for COVID losses by 23 million. Or we had provisions at 83 million at the end of Q1 in a prudent way. Uh, but in light of the intensity of the second wave, uh, there are two areas where worsening a, a little bit of pressure coming from that wave, too. Uh, where we uh, wanted to um, be on the prudent side. So entertainment in the U.S., you know, we the cost on our policies in entertainment is much higher when events are canceled than when they're postponed. Initially, there was a lot of uh, uh, events that were more postponed and we were anticipating that some of them would be canceled, but in light of the intensity of wave two, we've seen a bit more of those events being canceled. And we. Uh, uh, reserve for that trend going forward as well, not just what we know at the moment. And in liability in Canada, there's a few different uh, types of liability that can happen in our portfolio. This is nothing around business interruption. Just to be clear, it's really liability. So some of our clients, uh, you know, being sued for negligence. There's a, a duty to defend in our policy. The plaintiffs still need to prove negligence, and uh, so. But there's just a little more activity. So on the liability side, it's not really linked to specific cases, just the increase of activity given the uh, the, the intensity of the wave that lets us uh, decide to add a little bit of reserves in Canada as well. What uh, would it need for us to need to in- increase the reserves again? Well, tough to say, but I will share that uh, you know, sitting here, looking at the situation going forward, I think we we are on the conservative side, meaning that uh, it would have to uh, be a significant uh, adverse development of the situation globally for us to need uh, additional reserves. Uh, we don't expect we'll have to move it this year. From this point.
3: Yeah, and if I can add a bit of color, Jeff, uh, you know you'd have to picture a third wave with the same intensity of the second wave with you know severe lockdown measures potentially, to be in a zone where we would look again. But even then, uh, the pressure that comes from entertainment won't be at the same level, even if we go in a third wave, because we've moved from postponement to cancellation. There's much less of that left in the system. And I would say in aggregate, uh, the odds are very, very small uh, at this stage, as far as we're concerned, that uh, we see a need to increase the ultimate.
5: Okay, that's helpful. And just my other question was just the Metro Mile, uh, the SPAC just started trading today. I'm wondering how we should kind of think about what the valuation upside relative to original investments in the company, but also too, like within Intact Ventures, like are there other investments you you would want to highlight as, as interesting and or ones that could meaningfully surface value?
3: uh well first uh, congratulations to the uh Metro Miles team and uh Dan at Metro Miles you know for for a job well done we're we're, we're quite pleased with the developments there i'll ask louis to uh give his perspective on on that specifically we've got a number of other uh, meaningful stakes in the uh, venture portfolio but nothing that i want to highlight at this stage jeff but i think we will take your interest into account here and uh, and potentially integrate that in upcoming quarters or at the Investors' Day. So, Louis, on Metromaya? Yes, so a
4: uh, very uh, successful uh, transaction uh, that has taken place in the last two days. So, very happy about that. It will uh, trigger a uh, significant uh, gain for the company. We are uh, cautious here on, on on valuations, of course. Um, and um, so we're, you know, we're, we'll be recording at fair value as soon as it trades. So it should be uh, in Q1 uh, of this year. It will uh, be meaningful, but it, it, we consider it a non-operating uh, gain, as, as we put all our other uh, the similar gains, uh, and those will be uh, booked in, in Q1. Where that will that will land depends on the, the market value um, of the uh, of the shares as they trade on the market now. Uh, but we expect that to have a, uh, at this point, to have a positive impact on non-operating earnings in Q1. And then we'll carry it at fair value, so the ups and downs will go through uh, earnings until uh, we decide what we do with the uh, with the shares.
5: Do you, do you have the number of shares that you're owning on with the SPAC now trading?
4: Uh, so we haven't shared that information. Uh, it's uh, obviously, it's a, uh, Uh, small share of the uh, overall uh, corporation but we have not shared the uh, the numbers there Uh,
1: uh, Jeffrey
5: okay all right thank you
1: your next question comes from Mario Madoka from TD securities
6: Uh, good good morning Uh, Charles this is obviously a very special year uh, for the company Uh, I'm just looking at things like the underlying claims ratio on personal auto and in personal property uh just the improvement we saw this year and and these look like record years in terms of where these ratios are falling out uh how does that influence your thinking uh about further premium relief uh or re, uh, rate reductions in 2021 and does that inform you in any way about uh the capacity to drive higher pricing when when covid-19 is behind us
3: So Mario clearly it's been a a very strong year. Uh there's no no doubt about it with uh an overall combined ratio in Canada uh you know in the upper 80s all lines combined including uh, the provisions we've taken for COVID-19. The weather has helped uh a little bit. But, you know, macro level we are in a tight uh, marketplace. I mean, the industry's combined ratio was 100% uh, at the end of Q3 this year. Automobile insurance was in and around 100% for the industry, and so we're in that phase of the cycle. You know, again at the macro level, where the outperformance is really strong. But the industry has yet to catch up on the actions we've been taking over the past you know three four years, and so I do think that twenty twenty one remains a year where we can take advantage of market conditions, maintain solid outperformance uh and grow the business in a very healthy very healthy fashion and I see that in personal property still. I don't see personal prop softening. I think there's a fair bit of work that's needed still at the industry level and one year of favorable weather is not going to slow that down. In commercial lines we're in year three of what started as a firm market to what is now a hard market and COVID has not been helpful uh, and I continue to see a fair bit of digestion needed uh, in commercial lines and certainly true in the U.S. where are We've got strong performance in first lines. I think that the run rate performance is really strong and I, we intend to grow our positions there and, and hopefully expand the margins in the hard market, uh, but uh, but grow the top line as well. Automobile is in a different zone, Mario, clearly. Um, it is in a zone where the cost equation has changed probably for a bit a bit longer than what we anticipated in march and april and that's why we've gone from relief to rates and i think uh you've seen the industry move in in that in that direction as well to a certain extent and when i look at rates sitting here today in automobile insurance there's, there's not really rate increases flowing through the system on a written basis uh at this stage i think you look at the industry you see rate increases in some parts you see rate decreases in other uh, other parts, I do think it's temporary. I think that there's the industry's performance is not that great. Uh, and I think the trends we recognize in 16 and 17 uh, are creating pressure for a number of players. You see this in the prior year adverse development, nine months into 2020. So my view is you're probably in a flat environment from a rate point of view in automobile but one where the cost equation warrants it, in my view. But I think as um, driving gets closer to normal, I do think that we'll be in a fairly rational uh, environment. Hard to tell, you know, how long the return to normal will be. I suspect you've got at least a year of that. But uh, I think we can, uh, we can win in the near term and capitalize on strong performance in automobile and hopefully grow that platform. As a follow-up, could could you talk a little bit about? Uh, I think in your in your MGA,
6: you do talk about further premium relief beyond what the company has already announced. Is there any way you could help size that? And maybe I'll ask it in this way: You've got 203 million left to be earned. Uh, would you see the premium relief, new premium relief in 2021, rivaling the 400 and some odd million? Uh, that was written in 2020. Is that, is that conceivable for 2021?
3: No, I don't think so. I think that um, I, I would be uh, very, very surprised that we would be in that range, Mario, because um, first first of all, the difference in driving in the second wave is very different from the driving in the first wave. Driving in the first wave at one point in time was down 50 percent driving in the second wave um has dropped but nowhere near these levels and as such i don't see uh a a logic for relief to that same extent second point is far more uh people have embraced ubi and then uh rate reflects to a certain extent an expectation of less driving so i just don't see uh relief to that extent mario uh in 2021
1: no thank you your next question comes from jamie going from national bank financial
3: hi jamie Hi.
6: Right. <clears throat> sorry good morning uh, i was on mute there uh my question is around the uh, the distribution uh, EBITDA and the solid results we saw in 2020. And uh, Louis, your guidance, I believe, is for 10% growth in uh, in 2021. Can you can you maybe break down uh, that growth rate forecast in terms of organic growth, M and A growth, and uh, and how you see the underlying businesses or business as it's constructed today, with uh, revenue coming from onside revenue coming from Frank Cowan and uh and let's say other uh pre-existing brokers in the distribution channel.
4: Sure. Um so what you're what you're seeing this year was I mentioned earlier was the organic growth, the profitability uh of the underwriting, some expense management. Uh as, as an example during the crisis, the the brokers pulled back on some of their uh marketing spend as an example. Uh, and there's a bit of MA and uh, in there. So this is like the ongoing MA where they, they consolidate the market uh, progressively. And then the addition of Onside and, and Frank Cowan. So that led to the 32% uh, overall. Next year, we're guiding to 10 So firstly, you know, we're off to a very, we're comparing ourselves to a very strong 2020. Um, so I guess we're a bit of ahead of the game here in terms of the earnings where they stand today, given what we delivered in 2020. Uh, then next year, it's a share of, Uh, Mostly organic on the part of the brokers uh, growing. Um, So if you take the 10%, I would say, uh, you know, probably 40% of it is the organic growth of the brokers. Uh, Another 40 would be the Frank Cowan and um, Onside growing. And then the rest would be a bit of M&A activity that will flow in, if I split it out. That's that's roughly the makeup of this. So it's mostly uh, organic. Uh there is some M and A momentum coming in, uh but but mostly it's uh it's driven by our brokers' uh growth as well as the addition of Onside and, and Frank Cowan.
3: Yeah, and no I, I think uh worth mentioning Onside a little bit here, just uh uh the strategic progress that the team has done there under the leadership of Craig Hogart and uh Alain Fortin who's joined uh, the team has been outstanding. Uh, I mentioned in my remarks, the cycle time, that is the time needed to get customers back on track, down 15%, you know, in short, in a very short period of time, we're targeting 50% cut in, uh, in, in cycle time. The growth there is impressive. I think the margin uh, has improved meaningfully as well. And I see a fair bit of upside, but we're just starting. And, my own view of the upside there, there's a big capacity issue in that space. There's a quality issue in that space. It's super fragmented. So our thought process on site is very much consistent with what we tried to do with BrokerLink a decade ago to build capacity at scale and then do this profitably. And I would say uh, we're probably ahead of where I thought we'd be in this acquisition, and so we'll put more capital there and uh, certainly leverage this platform in the RSC integration which will really help the platform uh, as well and the customer experience so I'd say this is a, a second uh, source of business that's first of all inversely correlated with the underwriting performance that uh, that we should that investors should keep an eye on in the next three to five years okay and
6: is uh, is on site at a at a size uh, at this stage where you're able to break out its contribution
3: not yet
1: okay uh, otherwise great answer thank you very much thank you your next question comes from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital
7: Good morning. Um first question, maybe just back to the good morning. Um back to the outlook, Charles. And I think and correct me if I'm wrong, the outlook for personal property might have changed a little bit. I think you're now looking at mid single digits um down from mid to high single digit growth. And I'm just wondering what informed that that shift down because are we at that pivot point where I mean you've had a few great years In that business line or should we be anticipating a bit of a a slowdown in the pricing cycle here or just hoping to get a little bit more color
3: yeah very perceptive uh, Doug indeed I think between rates and some insured you know I look at what's running uh, in the in the systems these days and you know you're a little bit north of uh, of mid single digit I think it's been many years of correction. The performance is outstanding. I think our outperformance is outstanding, and we want to make sure that uh, that we're in a very good position to uh, to grow uh, that segment while continuing to uh, to expand the margin. Uh, I don't think the industry is necessarily uh, there just yet, but um, but you know, it's not the same sort of level as what we've seen last year or the or the past few years. Isabel, do you want to provide uh, a bit more colour on that if there's a need?
0: I would may add, Charles, that uh, even if in personal property, COVID has uh, not materially impacted that line of business, we have seen uh, us and some, some insurers tempering also the rates in that line of business as well. So I think that's why... Uh, we we now expect uh, the growth to be in the mid-single-digit
6: range for the next 12 months.
3: Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, As we deploy uh, segmentation strategies, Doug, during the pandemic, we tried to tame the increases that uh, were the largest for some segments of customers, and that plays into the outlook as well
7: so you're not you're not anticipating a softening cycle just more of a tempering of the cycle at this point we're not at the pivot point
3: no i don't saying. think so i don't think so
7: okay and then just uh the follow-up um it relates the to the exited lines and the adverse um development coverage i mean the exited lines this quarter had 39 million underwriting loss i mean you had uh 5 million of negative prior year reserve developments in the u.s and the coverage is is gone um for the business and i think the coverage was for prior to 2017 on the one beacon business you know should we be worried that we're going to see a lot more bounces in this and 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 i guess what i'm trying to get at is especially on the exited lines when does that number go to zero because i think that's been excluded from operating because it's anticipated that this is going to run off and go to zero and we haven't seen that so just hoping to get some color on all of that thanks
3: yeah when we uh, closed the transaction, Doug, we <clears throat> exited right then three lines of business um, or two lines of business and then healthcare maybe a year later. And uh, our view is that these should not be a drag going forward. We we tried to make sure they wouldn't be. And uh, it certainly reinforced our view that uh the call to exit those lines of business was the right the right call and i think we need to be so i don't expect to drag and when i look at the ongoing lines of business i'm quite pleased with the trajectory of the performance there and you've seen a strong 92 percent in q4 Um, and a market that's very supportive and i think from a reserving point of view you know we've put ourselves in a position to avoid That surprises from those lines.
7: So, so we shouldn't be anticipating. I mean, 2020 there was some significant losses. I think it was in the 60 million underwriting, if I'm correct. So that that should essentially go, you know, 2021, 2022 towards zero. And and maybe you can just, if you can provide color, what produced the loss in that exited lines?
3: Uh, Patrick, do you want to give a bit of color on that, or or Darren?
8: Yeah, I can I can jump in there, Charles. I mean, what we've I mean, as consistent with the past, what we've seen um, is obviously exited line uh, activity with respect to the ADC. I mean, in terms of exited lines themselves, the, the, the predominant line that uh, is is healthcare um, that took up the vast majority um, of the activity that we saw in um, in in Q4 and also a little bit on the architects and, and engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, consistent with reserving practices, we expect zero uh, of impact in in 2021 from an exit line standpoint. Um, Otherwise, we would have um, taken a more prudent position on the reserves when we closed uh, in 2020. So, yeah, so we do expect uh, zero uh, purely from a reserving standpoint uh, in
3: 2021. Doug, I think, you know, a chunk of that is IBNR. Uh, In in other words, it's Uh, Aggregate provisioning. And then there was one large loss uh, in healthcare, significant large loss in healthcare where we've strengthened the case reserve. Okay, great. Thank you.
1: As a reminder, to ask a question, press star one. Your next question comes from Tom McKinney from BMO
8: Capital. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Good morning. Um, morning, Tom. With respect to the yeah, morning, uh, with respect to the further contemplated relief measures in Canada, I assume these are um, all incorporated into the guidance that uh, Louis gave for the existing uh, Canadian or the existing impact business of uh, a look for 2021 of a low 90s combined and mid single-digit top-line growth. Am I correct in that? Yes, you are. Okay. So, and then uh, just with respect to the RSA acquisition, in the call, you guys, said there's further visibility into value creation, and uh, you certainly get the impression that there's uh, further visibility into the 250 million in synergies. Um, what are you seeing now that maybe that you didn't see in in your due diligence? What are you discovering here that gives you further? Confidence and more clear visibility into the value creation of this acquisition.
3: Louis, Louis, why don't you uh, take this one? Sure. So,
4: of course, uh, our initial estimates were based on uh, preliminary due diligence, on you know, I would say limited uh, information and past experience in terms of our own integrations. Uh, now that we're a couple of months in, uh, we have a you know, I guess more visibility on the structure of the organization. where where the pockets of uh, synergies we saw can actually be uh, harvested. Uh, We have more people involved who uh, are are basically confirming the level of synergies we can achieve. So, I think what we're saying here is the visibility gives us more confidence in the numbers that we shared uh, a couple of months ago. So, uh, this is really the essence of of what we're uh, we're saying. Uh, A bit the same on the integration side. Uh, being able to uh, to identify what what we have to do and and how much it will cost, so it's more reaffirming a bit uh, the values now that we're three months in uh, that we had uh, stated at the outset of the transaction when we we were somewhat uh, limited in terms of information sharing with the target.
3: Yeah, and I, I think Tom, a, a big difference <clears throat> I would say between you know pre deal pre announcement and post announcement is that you go from a top down. Approach to what is much more of a bottom up uh, approach uh, at this stage we've got twenty seven teams transition teams that are looking at you know various parts of the business working with uh, with rSA each of those teams as a specific uh, target that's informed by the information that uh, that that we've a- had access to and therefore we gain confidence in our ability to deliver the goods. I would say the other area that we feel uh, good about is the uh, loss ratio improvement potential that uh, that I think will will be available across the platform. And as we discover uh, some of the assets uh, <clears throat> in the UK and I parameters, we see you know a fair bit of value in, in some of the assets that we didn't know uh, as well. So uh, for all these reasons, we're pretty uh, confident uh in the guidance we've provided
8: and i believe the 250 million in expense synergies does not include the benefit of risk selection improvements or revenue synergies so when you correct. talk about loss ratio improvement or assets in the uk these are things that are not in the 250 million in terms of expense synergies is that correct that's correct okay thanks very much
1: there are no further questions, I will turn the call back over to Ken Anderson.
2: Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Following the call, a telephone replay will be available for one week, and the webcast will be archived on our website for one year. A transcript transcript will also be available on our website in the financial reports and filings section. In closing, our first quarter 2021 results are scheduled to be released after market close on Tuesday, May 11th.